and that's in a nutshell where I am. A doctor who should have known better, but actually had to learn the lessons the hard way. Welcome Organic Matrix members. Today is super exciting. We're going to be speaking to Dr. Stefan Neff. This episode is dedicated to those who've suffered at the hands of addiction. Addiction has run rampant in the United States. In fact, 108,000 people have overdosed just last year in 2021. Many people feel trapped and feel unsure on how to begin healing from their addictions. Addiction is more than substance abuse. It involves our impulses and what we like to do, what we like to chase, the pleasure, instead of growth and development. On today's episode, we welcome Dr. Stefan Neff. Dr. Neff has firsthand experience with overcoming addiction. He is also a best-selling author, and he wrote a book called My Steps to Sobriety. Dr. Neff shares his experience and knowledge to help support those who want to overcome their addictions. He is also building a community with his podcast and YouTube channel, Steps to Sobriety. Today, we go over addiction, trauma, and the effects of malnutrition. Our goal is to equip you with tools you need to take your life back. Good evening, Dr. Neff, and welcome to the Organic Matrix. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honor to be on your show because you're linking so many of these these beautiful things. When I say beautiful, I mean, I mean, what's beautiful about anxiety, trauma, and all these things? Well, it is actually, but we'll come to that. But you're linking all those things together and therefore starting to make sense out of the suffering that so many of us go through. So yes, I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you oh, from? Well, many moons ago, born in Germany, and I was born in the 60s there. So when I was young, I was in you know in my teenager years, that was the 70s, 80s in Germany. Germany is a beautiful country with a beautiful alcohol culture. So alcohol was everywhere. It's not like maybe in the UK or in other places where there are certain times that alcohol is being dispensed. So everyone rushes into the, the clubs, get blind drunk, and then because 11 o'clock, there's no more alcohol. For us, alcohol was around the clock. And that's, that's actually a, quite a nice thing if you think about a culture that uses alcohol sensibly. Regrettably, so many of us don't. <laughs> so that's, that's fact one. Um, my problem was also that whilst I come from a, a poorer background, alcohol was, was there, but it wasn't really tempting to me, in all fairness. Having said that, then one day trauma hit me quite big um, with a gang assault and I ended um, pretty beaten up and with a hefty dose of PTSD that I didn't know about. At that time, PTSD was not a thing that you talk about. So therefore, I, I ended up uh, being in quite a dark place and immediately started to transform myself into Rambo. Um, really, the next five years was pure martial arts, was working during the day in the sense of being at school and then training for hours or so. And with not a a care about my emotions, what drove me, etc. So I lived for, for five years under this tension. And then I went to university. And guess what? I found alcohol and I found girls. And it was beautiful. Because now this was the first time that I could actually 
feel the relaxation, the ah. Oh. I was no longer Rambo, I could switch off. And that switching off was such a powerful experience. I never forgot that. And so therefore, from then on, whenever times got rough, I liked my alcohol. And, you know, initially this was this was social. Um, admittedly, I was very social. I had a good time in, in university. But then over, over life, I mean, I became a doctor. I emigrated a few times, lived in different countries, married, had family. All those kind of things come with their own heaps of trauma. And I had never learned anything else than work hard. I was a workaholic. And then play hard. I was an alcoholic. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, that only lasts such a long time. I mean, fair enough, fair call. I've made it two, two decades and then some. Um, so for a quarter of a century, I was basically going absolutely nuts with a boom and bust behavior, um, with, with a very schizophrenic attitude. Because I was reading self-help books and I was reading everything I could get my fingers on, typically with a glass of wine in my hand. And reading a lot about it and making very few changes, okay? There was very few books I, books I had not read. And yeah, sooner or later, this kind of lifestyle catches up with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was lucky enough my wife did not leave me. Um, I did not get into trouble with the law. I was always, I always had a high respect for law. Um, I did not get massively sick from a bodily function. But mentally, I was down and out. I was an empty shell. And that was really 88 years ago. Um, and that the, my spiral downwards had continued to a point that there were indeed thoughts that I would be better off not being on this world. And because the, the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression... Uh, that I self-medicated with work and alcohol, um, they were not going away. They were going away for a few seconds, minutes, hours, when I was blind drunk. And then I was 21 again, and listening to some music and having a good time. But no, I needed to, to come to that point to then finally say that I'm I'm powerless over, over the addiction. And... Mm to actually get get help and I was so blessed because I my wife took out a loan and put me into a rehabilitation hospital we didn't have the money for it but it was the best investment I've ever done in my life and from then on I finally uh, started to heal and this is an ongoing journey because trauma comes in layers healing comes in layers and every day I now know that I've got the privilege of making choices. Many addicts don't have that privilege anymore. You already referred to the 108,000 of narcotic deaths alone, uh, opiate deaths in your country. Um, this is not just in your country, that's all over the world. Uh, we see this, the issue of opiates being tainted with, with fentanyl and other chemicals to a, a dangerous degree. Um, we see life getting harsher for many people let it be because they are in a war zone or they're internally or externally displaced they are uh, suffering from the climate and life becomes more and more uncertain 
and mm. trauma becomes more and more in our lives. Covid, for crying out loud. All that worked together to put us closer and closer to choices where we maybe choose a quick fix. Mm. The glass of alcohol, the sugar, the sex, the whatever whatever your poison is or combination of poisons are um, that are the quick fix but they don't address the underlying problems mm -hmm. and i'm privileged now to see that and it has become for me a vision and then a mission to go out there and actually say hey guys if i can get my shit together um maybe there's a chance for you and that's in a nutshell where i am a doctor who should have known better, but actually had to learn the lessons the hard way. And here I am, uh, a patient and doctor at the same time, and being very glad for the insights that I've gained, the lessons that I've learned the hard way. I really admire how humble you are and how you take responsibility in claiming who you are in totality with your past, including where you're going in the future. and. I I love that because it's inspiring to, you know, we have episodes when we are in addiction. We do things that we wish we didn't remember, or maybe we do things we find out later on that we <laughs> forgot. And to to take your power back, you know, it's it's easy to hide in shame and then use our addictions to make excuses. Oh, well, I'm not so bad, you know, like justifying our behaviors but there's so much power in claiming your past and would you say that's one of the first things we need to do to heal yes yes there are, having said that there are different thought for models and different approaches to rehab i went through a 12-step system and therefore it was you know in my first day in rehab um, you sit around the, the, the group there and everyone says, hello, I'm Joe, I'm an alcoholic, and hey, I'm Jean, I'm a, a sexaholic. And then suddenly there's quiet and you think, oh, shit, it's my turn. And, and my mouth just formed the words, hello, I'm Stefan, I'm an alcoholic. I don't actually know much about the next hour. Because the moment that word has left, that that statement has left my mouth and my ears heard my own words saying it, it became reality. And now I could deal with it. Now I was, I was able to address things. And that was powerful. That was taking ownership for the first time. And it was the scariest thing I could have done. And yet it was actually the absolute starting point of my recovery that moment i spoke those words there are other people out there who disagree with that who are far more future focused in their recovery and say yeah forget that you're an alcoholic no 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 we are focusing now on the good life we're focusing on putting new habits into place teaching you how to deal with emotions etc so they are against stating that you're an alcoholic they're against focusing on the past but rather looking towards the future um personally i had to look at my past and had to learn from it in all fairness that that was actually a natural thing for me to do because i'm very interested in history so 
I strongly believe if we don't look at the lessons of uh, that people in the past had to learn the hard way, we forget them and we redo the same mistakes and as we see right now with the chaos in this world. So therefore that was actually very logical for me. So the 12 step program worked like a treat for me from a logical perspective. And I very much stand behind a logical approach towards your addiction. And that's what the 12-step system is. There are other logical approaches there. So I'm not I'm not saying there's only one. No, there are multiple approaches. But for me and for many others, it's the first time that we admit to ourselves what's really happening, that we can stop hiding, that we can stop the shame and the guilt in due course, because we understand that those things that we did that we are not proud of we did for a damn good reason. Yeah. Because we were trying to avoid the pain that was otherwise, that would have otherwise been there. And whatever you do in order to get your next fix, it's certainly not pretty, but the next fix is as important as the next breath, as the next water for a man in a desert um, or food for someone who has been starving. That's the same level where the drug or the behavior is. And let that be, as I said, drugs, let it be alcohol, let it be eating disorders. It's the same thing. Mm. We're treating a tension, we're treating a pain that is deep down inside ourselves. And that pain eats us up. And that's why we are trying to escape our reality. Absolutely. Uh, and though how the culture is set up now, it's medicine is so normalized that using holistic methods is like, oh, you believe in that? true and that's that's bullshit too uh that's we'll come to that because there is there is there is not one approach honestly Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't say 12 steps program is medicine um Mm -hmm. it is a logical Mm -hmm. approach from someone who figured it out in the 1930s they've tried everything Mm -hmm. else then and they figured out that it's just if we all can come together and actually um and actually admit that we're powerless and work together and see what works for us and what not then we can teach each other etc so this was a beautiful way with the 12 step system not very medical there at all um having said that medicine doesn't need to play a role in addiction and i say that because as addicts we completely neglect our body all addicts are malnourished um but let me be quite clear about it i would say most people in modern society in the western society are malnourished Um, sometimes even if you grow your own veggies and do your own things you're still malnourished because simply you don't get the volumes of those things that you need that your body needs to heal especially when you have starved it for many years in addiction or due to other mental health problems or physical problems Um, Also, you might live in an area uh, in the world where there are nutrition uh, deficits in the the soil. In in New Zealand, selenium and zinc are pretty low uh, in our soil. It's very hard to actually get that full nutrition um, if you don't supplement. So this is one example where malnutrition is just a given if you look at it. And if you then add the lifestyle many of us have been living or maybe are living, oh my goodness. If you then go through a supermarket with open eyes, then you have to admit that really 80% of what you see in a supermarket should not be called food. Um, food is something that is extend, uh, is helping you to live a full life, to, to make you a better person. 
I'm sorry, the cardboard packaging is probably more nutritious than some of the shit that you're putting in yourself. Okay, so let's be clear about that. And that's just nutrition. So that's from a holistic point of view. There's so many other aspects of it. There is the, the rehydration. There is the this constant sympathetic drive to fight and fly we're constantly and that is that is good for me as a doctor you don't catch me out in the in the anesthetic uh when i when i work in my in my theater um because my ptsd makes me hypervigilant hey that's cool um so that works well but if you're constantly in that state guess what you're burning out yeah so therefore, when was the last time you've switched on your parasympathetic nervous system? And that's then again the holistic thing, the meditation, the breathing exercises, the stretching exercises, maybe the yoga, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And we haven't even touched upon spiritual. So there's so many things that we, we have forgotten about in our crazy modern life. Mm -hmm. And it bites you in the bum. It certainly did me. And... Yeah, many, yeah, I had to learn the hard way. Oh boy, there's a lot of work to be done. What inspired you to start studying medicine? Initially, I wanted to be a vet. And there was this romantic, all creatures, large and small, about a, a vet in the Yorkshire Dales in 1930s. And it was all romantic and beautiful. And he, had to, he found the, the love and it was nice. And I thought, hey, I'd be a vet. And then... However, um, a friend of mine was in St. John's Ambulance as a volunteer, uh, as a teenage volunteer. He dragged me along, and I soon figured out that it's far more fun to help to help people than it is that. And it's, instead of going to the army, I chose 10 years of part-time being a paramedic. Um, so that was that, and then very soon I realized that when I put my mind to it, I'm actually quite, quite clever, so I went to university and became uh, and studied medicine and it was just the, the human body is an amazing amazing beast it is just lovely and i got really hooked on 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 everything i became an anatomy assistant so i know my anatomy well by having studied cadavers etc and taught others about it so the more you know about it the more you're fascinated about it so here i was completely in knowledge i mean i knew it the human body did i recognize mental health oh yeah in everyone else i could see a ptsd a mile away i could see addiction a mile away you opened the door into my consult room i had you covered i knew you what your problems were did i see it in the mirror no 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 and that was the bizarre thing that was the kind of schizophrenia I lived for such a long time. It was bizarre. But again, it was what it was. I had to have this journey uh, to now be the man that I am nowadays. Without that, I, I would be so, I would be still the same idiot. <laughs> Probably far more arrogant than now and far more I know it all, far more angry, far more resentful far more in pain ah full of shame and guilt that was the old me mm -hmm. ah awful 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 no and nowadays no nowadays i'm a doctor but i'm also a man i can identify as stefan neff not stefan neff the doctor but stefan neff the guy 
the dude, the man, um, warts and all, scars and all. <laughs> That's me. I love that. Yes. There's so much power in like finding and choosing to define your name the way you want to. It's your whole legacy. And I feel like a lot of people, they don't, they don't see that until it's a little late. So we're going to help them out on this podcast right now and let them know like you, if you're a mom, you're more than a mom. If you're a firefighter, you're more than a firefighter. If you're a big brother, you're more than a big brother. We play these roles temporarily, but we wear many faces. And they're all us, but the core is the the being that we are, that we're born with, and that we rest eternity with. That's what we get to mold. And I love that you took your power back and you made yourself, like you you built yourself and you love yourself. And I love that. That's a hard journey, though. Um, guys, I, I, I invite you to come along. The journey is beautiful. has so many detours, you have no idea. It's meandering through life. And guess what? There's more trauma to come because that's, that's what life is. But the more you go down this path and often maybe find allies along the, the, the walk who maybe walk with you by your side or are behind you and support you, cheer you on on that path, the more you you grow and the first few steps i mean your feet hurt after the first step everything hurts and then after a while you walk and then still oh god the feet hurt and after a while you suddenly realize you're walking on that path and you think okay there's actually not much pain there well, i'm starting to enjoy that mm -hmm. so that's the same thing it's the same journey when you go to create new habits in a gym or maybe with eating, maybe with, with whatever it is that you're at the moment addressing. Um, there will be a learning curve, but that learning curve is steep. And very soon, if you just stick with it, you will find that your life changes. That's a guaranteed thing. The only thing in recovery that changes is everything. <laughs> that I can attest to. And that's the same with mental health. Once you focus on your, on your demons, and focus on ways of improving yourself. Wow, that's not holding you back. Amen. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. How did you how did you handle the stress when you were going through school? <sighs> school was actually easy. Um, well, actually not. To start off with, I was mediocre. Um, I hadn't found a passion yet. Um, but then we actually had a history teacher that we detested. We hated the man because he was doing a test every single session. We had a test. That test was, last night in the main news, what were the headlines of the news? So he forced us to be interested in daily news. 
And I don't know why everyone was pissed off at that. And of course, he threw other things in there, um, other about the, the stuff that we learned about, etc. But uh, everyone hated him. And somehow, I thought, I'm going to show you. So I started learning more about history. And I came to a point where I knew more about a subject than he did. And that was addictive. That was cool. And I was sort of, at that time, sort of the... the, the, the uh, I wasn't bullied, but I was certainly not in the in-cloud. And suddenly, when I beat this, this teacher, quotation mark, in his own game, I was the hero in my class. And I was suddenly <laughs> hanging out with the cool girls. And, the, you know, uh, that was cool. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and so, therefore, learning became, for me, a beautiful thing. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Uh, and with hindsight, unfortunately, Mr. Brown will, will be somewhere up there now. Um, but this man actually changed truly my life. Um, he, what a shame that I could not go back and actually say thank you to him with hindsight. Um, yeah, so learning was actually a rescue for me. Or was it actually maybe the start of the, my workaholic kind of life where I could throw myself into the books and mm. therefore forget about the rest of my life? Maybe. Probably, actually, when I look at it, um, whatever it was, it was beautiful. Mm. I remember one night at uh, at university, there was, was meanwhile coming close to midnight. I was there in front of this anatomy book, and what I had was a cup of tea there, and it was uh, just a, an old fashioned light sort of cone coming down on there. It was completely dark around me. It was completely quiet in the student home. And I was just there, and there was this this kind of out of body experience of me seeing that cone of light, the knowledge, the tea, and this focus that was beautiful. But that was ah, oh, these were the good times. This was this was when life boiled down to calm and to things. And the way I I I tell it, I now got the realization that this was serenity that this was actually calmness that I achieved at that moment, for which I will forever remember that moment. That was probably the first time in my life that I experienced that now that I think about it. Um, yet nowadays, this is something that we try to achieve with all kinds of ways. I saw it there. I saw the glimpse the first time, and that was linked with learning. So stress in university, yes, there was, there was stress, no doubt, but there was also a, a great time, and... I had, a, I had a beautiful time, okay? So there was not much stress. The stress came later in my work life because in medicine, certainly when I became a junior doctor, 80, 90-hour weeks were the norm. Um, and it was a very, a very strange thing. You would work 24 hours on, 24 hours off. And when I say work 24 hours, I mean it, 24. And some stuff like that. This okay. was... Uh, yeah. How can you function cognitively at that state? I mean, <laughs> how do you well, do it? We know it. We know it nowadays that this is virtually impossible. I mean, after twenty-four hours on the go, you might as well drink two bottles of wine because that's the same mistake rate you would do in a driving simulator, etc. Um, Sixteen hours nonstop yeah. it gives you about a bottle of wine. Um, that is that is the reality. That's what we know now. But then it was a culture of 
you work hard and you play hard. End of the story. Um, how do you switch off with alcohol? So that was the kind of attitude that was there in Germany as well as in the UK where I worked. When I then moved to New Zealand and Australia, it was still the same culture for me. Although uh, out here people live different lives, they actually there's more work-life balance, something that I had not experienced being brought up. And to a certain degree, there was since I was sort of a self-made man, um, I had laid down the foundations of you have to work hard. That makes you a man. A man is a real man. So there was a lot of macho crap in going through my <laughs> head. Um, and unfortunately, that was a big hurdle for me. So I created my own hurdles, my own obstructions towards healing and towards towards uh, recovery, really, towards mental health, towards a, a good work-life balance. Um, many hard lessons I had to learn in due course before that changed. And probably it still hasn't changed. I'm still guilty as charged. I work too hard. I still throw myself at projects with a passion that is unparalleled. And yeah, I think I've got still that trait in me. It will that's, be there until I die. So, that's that's a beautiful trait to have because our longevity is contingent on our sense of passion that we can have. Exactly. So uh, from that point, yes. But also you need to develop the same passion for looking after yourself as you do for writing another book. If you're if you're in academia, writing another paper. Um, there are only so many midnight oil candles that you can can <laughs> um okay need you need to look after your sleep you need to look after your nutrition you need to look after your soul after your relationships there's so much more to you than being the doctor the soldier the the whatever role you have got especially if they are very intense roles we often live them to the fullest and then the rest just falls to the wayside. If you read any history book about, or any any memoir of any soldier, there is never the, and then we stayed together with my wife for 50 years. I'm sorry, there's always a, uh, a, um, a very dark night of the soul because relationships break up, women walk away from such a crazy lifestyle. Well, you know, that makes you think a little bit. And it's the same other way around. There, it's it's very hard to um, to keep a relationship going if you only focus on your work. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. But yet, I lived that. So I don't know how the hell I got away with it. Maybe I know how I got away with it because I chose a wife who was just as driven as I was. So therefore, we both made the same mistake. But somehow, despite all the pain that we caused each other and that we would live through together, we stayed together. And that's, I guess, a difference compared with many others who would much easier walk away from pain and just hoping that the grass is greener on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it never is in reality. And I yeah. had to learn. Oh, I learned that much, much earlier in my life. So... They are many roles, and sometimes we get just so caught up in the fog of war, in the fog of daily life, that we forget to step back, stop that red race, and actually do think what we really need to do to become better human beings. 
Mm. Are you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Oh, hell yes. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> I just did a video on that yesterday, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to see it. <laughs> I know, and it is so beautiful because I might as well tell the story here. Mm. It is. I was uh, anesthetizing a gentleman uh, last week, and we did shoulder surgery. So I had numbed his shoulder. He was completely pain-free there. Sent him off to sleep. Uneventful surgery. Uneventful uh, anesthetic. Put him into recovery for him to come around. And soon the nurse says, "Look, can I have some different painkillers? They don't seem to work." I said, okay, wrote something else up. And then she came back and said, look, would you mind reviewing this patient? And I said, okay, yeah, what's going on? And I walked into recovery and he was still in this twilight, a twilight zone between awake and asleep. And here he was, rolling himself around, rolling himself around. And we were thinking, wow, is that pain? And, and she said, no, I've given him heaps. And he said, I'm in pain. And then immediately he said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I think, oh, what's going on here? So I listened to his chest, beautiful entry, both sides, um, absolutely fine. Water, water, water. And he was going through all the basic needs a human has because his body was screaming, there's something not right, there's something not right. And he was going through all of them, cycling through. And he had been given heaps of water. He can breathe normally. There was no pain. As it turned out, I mean, I, I had seen things like that over my career before. I said, look, give me an ultrasound. And we have a quick look at his bladder. And his bladder was huge. The guy needed to pee. But he had not got the, 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 the things were not together up in his head to actually make that connection yet. It's just the only thing his body realized is, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And it was the basic things that he cycled through. I can't breathe, I need water, I'm in pain, those kind of things. And it was so beautiful. And what we did, we put a catheter in him, drained his bladder, and suddenly everything calmed down. And five minutes later, his, his brain had reconnected all together and said, and he said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, I'm so pleased. And it was bizarre. But it was this kind of his, his brain circling through this basic human needs thinking, mm -hmm. what the hell is it? Mm -hmm. And we are in our lives, we are often the same. We are striving towards the top of the pyramid, this pinnacle of oh, meeting someone who is sitting in, in a in lotus position on the top <laughs> of a mountain and giving us the most beautiful insights. When in reality, we have not looked after ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have not emptied our bladder. We haven't drunk anything. We are running around trying like a crisp. Meanwhile, your body is saying, help, help. And you think, where's this anxiety coming from? Mm -hmm. Shut up. I'm going for the wisdom. You know, <laughs> you haven't eaten breakfast. You haven't drunk anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you looked after yourself? No. <laughs> yes. That is, this is such an important lesson because the geniuses that we all admire, they're at the level of self-actualization. But the price of self-actualization is more than strife and it's more than working. It's about no managing the needs below self-actualization to build the foundation necessary to peak and maintain that peak of focus maintain that peak of harmony so i love that you and i see eye to eye when it comes to these things because it's all about respecting the machine if you want optimal results you need to have optimal self-respect for the body and the machine so true
so true. And I'm as guilty as charged. It is I'm I'm act I'm actively putting habits into place, but I need to do that. I force myself to drink a glass of water in the morning mm-hmm. or two. I force myself to do that in the evening because I not I don't naturally do it. I don't naturally look at those impulses. Mm-hmm. And it is a bizarre thing. I know their importance, yet every day I have to force myself to actually do a review of what's going on. And meanwhile, I've got a good rhythm established at work um, because literally my, my anesthetic technicians every two hours or so they say, hey, do you want to go to the toilet? Oh yeah, I actually do. Uh, thank you. And it's that kind of, of us reinforcing each other to take breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of little things where we work as teams and we don't have to be there all the time. Arr. No, you actually take turns and be uh, be safe, but also look after yourself. And therefore that makes you safer. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the kind of, I mean, that, that often enough goes with our eating habits. Uh, many of us lift a kind of Bridget Jones diary diet. In the morning, nothing. At the lunchtime, we have got two salad leaves, and in the evening, a five kilogram tub of ice cream. Yay! Healthy nutrition. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the balance in eating, not. Um, so it's those kind of things. But we dress it up. Oh no, I do intermittent fasting. Mm. Yeah, right, my ass. Yeah. Ten o'clock, ten o'clock at night, pig out at the fridge is part of your intermittent fasting schedule. <laughs> so, <Guilty>. so. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Exactly, and that's me too. And that's that's right now. That's the battle I'm I'm fighting. And, uh, I I have dealt with the the alcoholism, and um, I'm I'm okay in my sort of mental health. But there's still uh, I'm still an overeater because there's still things that I have not addressed. There's still things I'm struggling with. There's still me the way coping with with uh, the stress that mm-hmm. often I put upon myself. So how bizarre is that? But then again, at night time, oh, and you feed yourself, and like, oh yeah, and you, <laughs> you get to kind of ah, finally you can switch off, mm-hmm. and it's that. It's exactly why I used alcohol. It's exactly why I used I used uh, other behaviors that ah, oh, that release of pressure, release mm-hmm. of tension, and that is that is what I con- continuously need to work on. So my journey will never be finished. Okay, there is not a happy ending there. We are right into the sunset and the film closes. No, that is, no, my fight, my beautiful fight will continue until I'm dead. I I resonate with what you said so much because I too struggle with my own, you know, dimension of the addiction. And I see it's it's a it's a personality trait. You know, it's truly genetic in the sense that it's not that I'm like hungry for substance. I'm hungry for the simulation, the experience, the romance of it, the sensations in my body and being able to have the power to manipulate it. Like it's like magical. And then, you know, we learn methods to do this in a healthy way, but it's the curiosity is the source. And it's like, how far can I stretch my mind? How far can I stretch my body? You know, what kind of weird ways can I bend my mind to see perspectives that I've never considered and that was the addiction for me and you know like you said we find ways to channel 
those aspects of our personality. Like for me, it's this podcast. I loved using my drugs of choice and having conversations with strangers in bars. Like I transformed that to speaking to experts like you who have so much wisdom to share. And it, that's my drug now. Like instead of drinking to that, you know, at least I can remember it now. Touche, <laughs> touche. I feel exactly the same. And there is no longer the guilt and shame there. I think that really at me up. Those evil twins. Oh no, 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 no. That is, um, and also the PTSD and and much of the 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 way I was. My body was responding to it. As an example. When I was driving with my kids to anywhere, it would very frequently happen that I would go like that. So as if someone had punched me in the gut. And my kids said, no, what were you thinking about? Because they soon figured it out. It was a flashback to some time in my life where I was not so proud of the things that I've done. And it was bizarre how often I had such flashbacks, often to very minuscule, tiny things that were with hindsight, maybe the way I looked at someone or the, a few words that I said to someone, um, but there was pain attached to me, and I've, I re-felt, I re-visited re that pain again and again and again, and it was awful. And that nowadays, God, if that happens now once a week or once a month, that's uh, probably okay. Um, in the past, this would have been multiple times during the day. To just see myself having healed so much that I do no longer have these kind of emotional hard times that revisit me every single day. Well, that's beautiful. But that is because I've done the work in other areas. And that's beautiful. That's maybe where I also try to deal with the lowest level, with the with the foundations of the pyramid um, where I make sure that I'm actually uh, looking after myself because I know if I don't then it becomes very easy for me to imagine a glass of wine and there's a mnemonic that I use called HALT hungry, angry, lonely, tired now tired in my job that's very easy so it's already one if I'm hungry if there has been a lot of stress, angry, and if I'm lonely, and lonely can mean for me, um, lonely with regards to emotions, literally, the, in that sense, it could also be that I have not lived my life to the fullest, that maybe I did not do the hobbies that I normally enjoy, that I did not uh, activate my parasympathetic nervous system with whatever techniques I choose, those kind of things. Um, then if I put three of these things together, then my mind starts wandering towards not so nice solutions. If I put all four together, then, you know, I can see the condensation running down on the outside of this beautiful amber liquid that will give me release of my tension, guaranteed, okay? So that's that's what is happening. Yes. So I I have to force myself every day to live a better life but the cool thing is we have got a privilege of choice mm. we choose every moment what we do now sometimes you don't have the choice okay if you're living in a war zone and the bombs are falling down on you there is only so much you can do 
okay, right now you better do fight and flight, or you jump out of the way of this car that just is about to, to bowl you over. That's fight and flight. These are appropriate times. But there are other times when you can switch that off. And that's your choice. Do you want to do that or do you want to keep going watching telly until two o'clock in the morning and or answering emails until two o'clock in the morning or whatever it is? Um, this is your choice. Um, you're not a victim. Mm. We sometimes love our pity parties far too much and we have not yet learned to move out of that role that we play so well, the role of the victim. And we justify everything that we do with being that victim. My message to you is, whatever happened in the past, that is what happened. The past is the past. It has happened. You can't do anything about it. You can learn lessons from it. You can use the past to guide you in the right direction. You can use the past as fuel for the fire now to create a new person. And that is beautiful. These are all valuable uses of the past. But you living in the past, either in those beautiful times when you were still 21 and when you were dancing away and it was so beautiful, and you can't let go of that, and you are now 55 or 56, or just that birthday, great, yeah, okay, uh, hang on, hang on. So you were a really good dancer. And right now you you are just lying there, maybe drunk, listening to music and remembering that you were 21. Hang on, you idiot. Why don't you go dancing? Mm -hmm. If you so much want to dance, get your ass out of bed. Stop drinking. Go to the kitchen. Tell your wife, hey, look, fancy a dance. Mm -hmm. You can dance right now in the kitchen. Okay. And you can make a new memory. You can make, you can, you can. Lay new memories on top of the old ones. And who knows? Maybe that new memory is actually nicer than the older one. Or it it, uh, it complements the older one. How nice is that? Um, you know, why not make it a mission? Mm. Um, if you were in the past, like me, I did martial arts left, right, and center. Um, why not get back into it? Now, fair enough. I mean, you don't want to be the you don't really want to be thrown around in, in your 50s, 60s on a dojo uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or in, in whatever. Uh, probably your joints are telling you you've got to be joking. But there are other ways of, of martial arts. You can do stick fighting at home. You can do you can work out uh, on uh, a gym bag, uh, things like that. So there's nothing to say that you can't do a different version of what infused you when you were in your 20s. Do that now. If in the twenties you did a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of fighting, mixed martial arts, who says you can't now actually develop a a passion for maybe classic karate uh, and learn the the various kata and the various uh, performances uh, that you do? It is a beautiful way to go. You're still within the martial arts, but you're now doing a different aspect of it. So age does not mean that your life changes. Yes, you will not no longer dance the rock and roll the way you did. Okay, I've got beautiful pictures of me doing doing uh, doing proper rock and roll with girls being up in the <laughs> air and, and great. I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty then. Uh, yeah, nowadays probably no, I can't do that. That's that's let's be real. But what is the new me now? 
Do I really want to be that 21-year-old idiot? No. I want to be someone who now lives his life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And as much as there are seasons in your life and maybe times that are changing, mm -hmm. who that was the past. So who are you now? More importantly, who do you want to be? Mm -hmm. Who do you want to be when you grow up? And it doesn't matter if you're 27 or 70. Who do you want to be? Who's the next you that you would really love to be? It's your choice. I, I love what you said. And the biggest thing is when we answer that question, when we answer who we want to be, that's when we start automatically making strides towards becoming that vision. And that's a part of the privilege of free will where we can say, I want that. And we can bring it toward ourselves. Like a lot of people see it as the law of attraction, but it's not like something that you can put up this certain amount of crystals around you and this vibration will attract things that you want in your life it's more like plato said it best the things that we find aesthetically pleasing are the things that we want or need in our lives the things that we crave and i agree in that the things that we seek pleasure in there's a deeper message that reveals our true desires and if we could question that and flirt with it and discover it and play with it, we can really find the things that make us happy and find a healthy way to express and enjoy it. Ah. And you don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. And that is the cool thing. So be open. And that openness can be amazing. I had one of my oh, in the first 50 guests, I had a soldier uh, on my show who was kind of tough guy. Um, on the on the tip of the spear, so to speak, literally, uh, until he ran into a machine gun the wrong way around and he was firing. And he was suddenly no longer that type A personality, that type A winner, that type A kind of the man. Um, but he was broken and he didn't know what to do. So he isolated himself and for a few years he lived a very miserable life. Well, a very isolated life uh, with a lot of pain and a lot of yeah, mental problems. He then finally listened to the, some other vets that came around and said, hey, look, you know, want to come along? Today we play golf. And he played golf. Didn't do a thing for him. Um, and then they said one day, you know what? Um, let's, we're going to do, we, today we learn how to do, do stand-up comedy. He said, okay, come along. Guess what he is now? <laughs> He's a comedian. <laughs> it completely got him. It was completely his thing. And he had no idea about that. Absolutely <laughs> no idea. But he just gave it a shot. There was an opportunity. He just took it. So the lesson there is 80% of success is just showing up. Mm -hmm. Taking an opportunity and seeing where that leads you. Mm. If you think, hey, they are doing these kind of sound bowls where they lie there and experience different frequencies, what could go wrong? Yeah. You're lying there for 40 minutes. Um, is that, that it, no one will transplant your brain or something like that? So give it a shot. If it works, cool. If it doesn't work, so what? You've had a nice snooze. Um, so, you know, try something new and you will be amazed. What will happen? That's magical. When did you start realizing that you were developing a, an addiction in the past? 
95% of alcoholics will look you in the eye and will say there's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Okay? That is, I haven't got a problem. So therefore, denial is part and parcel of being an, an addict. Let's be quite clear about that. Um, I guess you get inklings. And those inklings, we as doctors can um, can judge or can quantify and qualify when we ask the right questions. For example, um, have you ever thought that you should cut down on your alcohol? Have you ever felt angry when other people were talking about your drinking? Have you felt guilty about drinking too much? And then the last question that we ask is, um, do you sometimes need an eye opener uh, the next morning because you want to actually calm down the jitters or or just feel a bit better with your hangover? So these are called the cage questions. Angry, um, guilty, uh, sorry, see, cutting down, angry, guilty, eye opener. And we use them because a good alcoholic, alcoholic will have four out of them. That's it. That who we are um, but we know but we deny it we are we are hiding and it's the hiding that is abnormal okay um, so therefore when did I first know I probably knew very early on deep down inside question is when was I ready to make a change mm-hmm. and that that there was a 20-year delay probably in there so uh, yes and that's it is what it is that is what the disease of addiction is um we are after all serving our body just in in very destructive ways but we are taking the pain away for at least that fraction of a second we're giving us the good feeling that make us forget the trauma of the past or the trauma of present that's why we escape our reality with whatever it is that we are doing Mm-hmm. And therefore, it all makes sense in a very weird way to your body. And therefore, it's if if it if the body says, "Hey, hang on, I feel at least for a moment I feel good." Why the hell would you stop that? You're you're doing something very profound. You're helping the pain of your soul. So so what tomorrow? Forget about the consequences. Right now, that is far more important. Mm-hmm. We need to look after each other. There's no two ways around it. But you, I guess, you never, you never start doing that until you are you have gone through a certain amount of trauma and a certain amount of damage to your life. And I, I always compared with 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 you pulling a bow backwards. You've got the arrow loaded, you're pulling the bow, and it's all the pain and all the trauma and everything else. The insides that are building up, building up, building up. Hopefully, you're now not just shooting anywhere because you're so confused and so full of pain, and actually the arrow hurts people. But you are actually now finally getting your moral compass right you're actually figuring out who do you want to be and you've got all that trauma that is pulling back the string and it's just a matter of you visualizing okay where is my target who do you want to be when you grow up then you can let go and now suddenly this arrow flies and you will be amazed um it's it's a beautiful 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 journey
but you need to go through the trauma. You need to have those experiences because otherwise there is no incentive for you to find the new you because mm -hmm. life is okay. It's miserable. Yes, I'm abused at home. Yeah, that's okay. I st I'm still living. That's fine. Yes, I get beaten up every day. But somehow there is still a bit of hope in me that maybe one day with his apologies lasts longer than, than 24 hours, you know. And there is still this kind of, I hang in there until the pain becomes so clear that you are so sick and tired of being sick and tired that you actually have to take action. And that's when the miracles happen. Yeah. When you take action. I agree. I can relate to that as well. When enough gets enough, it's the biggest blessing when that final straw hits. I mean, it's like a chaotic disaster, but it, it does set us free, gives us the key to our own prison. Do you think nutrition ties into our addictions and mental health? Like my personal story is I suffered with alcoholism and using other substances after college to cope with a lot of my trauma. And then I lost my mom in 2020. And I realized that I was feeling ill and I needed change. And my current coping mechanisms weren't, were destroying me and they weren't healing me. And I didn't even feel good anymore doing it. But what really helped me stop craving the substances that I was dependent on was when I started addressing my nutrition. When I started taking different blends of superfoods and taking my doing my blood work and seeing where I'm low specifically not guessing and I tell you that my clarity completely changed I went from having mood swings to like thoughts and memories coming back that I wouldn't be able to process it'd be like what are these visions and voices and I had that moment of like mania where I thought a higher being was speaking to me but really it was just my PTSD trying to <laughs> keep me living in the same cycle and but when I changed my nutrition the veil was lifted and I was like wow I've been living in this sort of dungeons and dragons kind of world that I created and now I have a lot of work to do back here on reality so in your in your perspective how how does nutrition tie into our mental health and how we can recover from our addictions hugely hugely um, we, as I said earlier, we live in a, in a world of malnutrition. Okay, we are for multiple multiple reasons, and uh, the odd salad will not do it. Okay, um, the reality is we are crap. Uh, we have lost many many skills that were normal to our forebears. How to grow nutritious food, how to slaughter animals, how to to basically. Uh, live a life where we pay respect to the animal and to those things that are around us that nourish us. Um, it is, for us, the supermarket delivers everything. Um, you are you're completely removed from, from everything out there, uh, for many, many people at least. Therefore, we have lost the insights, we have lost the, the variations, we have lost so much of, of what we need. I'm my story is like yours. Um, I got out of my addiction, and the first three years were beautiful, and I was healing. And then, 
then two, three years after after rehab, I I was just sick and tired. Not not sick. I was no longer sick. I was tired. I thought, is that it now? Mm. And I always had sent patients to a certain nutritionist here in New Zealand, Ben Warren, and he he always impressed me as as a great man. So I one day actually went to him and and said, look, here's my money. Take me apart. I mean, really take me apart. And let's actually, let's talk. Is that really the end of me now? Is that that kind of vegetative state, so to speak? Is that me? And we did all kind of blood works. We did all kind of specialized uh, immunology testing, so allergy testing, etc. And my goodness, um, I didn't like to hear what was coming back because the, I was allergic to a beautiful German breakfast. German breakfast is typically a mountain of lovely bread. We've got lovely breads in Germany, a set of little rolls, all yummy. And then you put butter on it and then maybe cheese and some meat products and, and that sort of some eggs with it. I was allergic to all that. Okay, I could prove that. I had the allergy testing in front of me. And I thought, oh, fuck. So everything I loved, everything that made me feel good from an emotional eating point of view, I was allergic to. So, bloody hell. So, first thing he is, he he sent me bottles and bottles and bottles of of nutraceuticals, and he has got an, uh, some fantastic products uh, that he created himself. So I knew about all that, and he said, "Here, there you go, man. You need that, and so much of that and that and that and that." And it was a good handful, sort of a good handful of of, <laughs> of things in the morning. But I soon realized that actually my body was missing that that is what i had how i had abused my body mm-hmm. and it was what it needed mm-hmm. so i started doing that and i started changing my diet i cut out those things that were triggering me and making me unhealthy mm-hmm. and that was uh, pretty much what i said the gluten the dairy um eggs those kind of things and a few certain certain other foods um, that I just enjoyed, but okay, I made the point, cut it all out, and started nutraceuticals. And guess what? The next day I felt the same, and the next day I felt mm-hmm. the same. And I thought, yeah, right. Two months later, nickling pains that I had from old injuries, gone. Yeah. Smelly feet, gone. Uh, hay fever, virtually non-existent. Mm. Um, my whole body had changed. And I realized that I was in, uh, had been in such an inflammatory state, it was no longer funny. Mm-hmm. And now all that inflammation was being switched off. And that was amazing. My life completely changed. There was a clarity now in my head that was as if someone had switched on the lights. So mm-hmm. the, the attention to nutrition made all the difference in my daily life. And I kept persevering there and i think much of my sharpness uh much of my the way my brain works nowadays is thanks to me paying attention to the nutrition and paying attention to a more holistic approach to life Mm -hmm. um so that is beautiful so in the past i would have made you i loved cooking so i would have made you a lovely pasta dish with a nice cream and wine sauce, mushrooms, mm. maybe some shrimps in there. Beautiful. No vegetable was hurt in the making of that dish. Okay. 
And nowadays, I have just two weeks ago, I made a huge amount of chili con carne, and I managed to get 10 different vegetables hidden in that chili con carne. Yeah. And it tasted like, yeah, yes. Few carbs there, and the carbs were healthy carbs that were coming from roasted vegetables, some carrots, some um, some kumara, some some you know stuff that is healthy, lots of fiber in there, and then there was some meat in there, but it didn't play the main role. It was sort of here and there, and the rest was veggies, mm. and it tasted like a dream. My family loved it, so stuff like that, complete different cooking compared with in the past. So therefore, I cut out those things that were potentially harming me. Mm. I added in those things, especially the micronutrients that my body craved and needed. Mm -hmm. And with that, suddenly, my body was no longer in the fight and flight mode. Oh, my God, our shelves are empty. You need to eat. You need to eat. You need to eat. Suddenly, I was actually giving my body what it needed. And therefore, mm -hmm. some of the anxiety dropped down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in my personal my personal theory, and like there's bits of like case studies to that give me this conclusion is that some of addiction could be we're self medicating anxieties of our bodies wanting us to satisfy fundamental needs. For example, Absolutely. if we're thank you, I, I've debated with so many people about this concept. Personally, I figured this out is similar to your patient that had to use the bathroom and he was going through all his head what do i need what do i need i feel like people are like maybe lacking maybe zinc vitamin d and they need to go outside and they think oh i need a cigarette we're like maybe you don't need a cigarette maybe you need some sunlight and maybe some people are like oh i'm anxious i need i need to self-medicate they don't think like your body's telling you that you need something that you probably have to consume and a lot of that piles up because when we choose a substance instead we become more malnourished more malnourished absolutely yeah and then it kind of domino effect uh, from there what we haven't touched upon is the fact that you have got about a kilo and a half of nerve tissue in your head called the brain you've got actually a kilo and a half of nerve tissue in your gut and that nerve tissue works together with about, I don't know, how many billion of bacteria that are living inside of your gut. It's called the gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. And we have only, in the last five, ten years, began to realize how powerful that interaction of a healthy gut flora and the, the, um, the nervous system within your abdomen, how they play together. And it is an amazing, amazing insight. And that's where we learn so much more on an ongoing basis. And this is stuff that, as a doctor, I never learned. And mm -hmm. it's only stuff, as I said, five, ten years ago, it started coming onto the surface. But nowadays we know that if we look after our gut and actually deal with the allergies, therefore that kind of sort of leaky gut uh, as we, we describe it as a as a model in our heads, that is calming down. So we're actually stopping the the kind of onslaught of stuff that should stay in the gut that's now leaking inside the system and is causing mayhem. Mm -hmm. We're stopping that. We're giving your body what it needs to heal. We are actually working on techniques to calm down our sympathetic nervous system. You've got the fight and flight that most of us are running in. 
Now that is not conducive to healing. Mm-hmm. When you have to fight, then your body says, "No, no, 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 no. It's it's just forget the healing for a moment. Let's do let's do damage or let's deal with the damage that immediately right now happens." So basically, stop him bleeding to death. Those kind of things. Mm. It doesn't say, "Wow, okay, those cells over there they really need better blood supply to heal," or actually, those cells over there they need to be dead. They, we need to kill them and get rid of them, eat them up because they are they are cancer cells. Okay, mm-hmm. we see that. But right now we're still fighting that bloody saber-toothed tiger. Um, and meanwhile, the cancer cells are saying, hey, no one is watching. <laughs> Let's get on with it, guys. <laughs> and so here you are. So there is so much to our lifestyle that essentially uh, destroys us. And we choose that lifestyle. Okay, We know that m- about 48% of cancers in the world are at least... Uh, supported by our lifestyles if not completely caused by our lifestyles Mm. now that's a hell of a lot of cancer that is due to obesity alcohol nicotine and the other poisons that we choose to consume to deal with our pain and our hurt hang Mm. on guys that's a you know this is weird we're committing suicide in installments yeah it's 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 bizarre yeah and it's only something that we begin to realize now. So a holistic lifestyle where actually you stop and you actually cultivate ways of switching off the sympathetic nervous system and, and it supporting the parasympathetic nervous yeah. system. May that be that you sit for 15 minutes in a sauna or that you maybe go to in a jacuzzi, a spa pool. That you if, you, if you have no money, go out there and hug a tree. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's on purpose ironic uh, because there's one of my first guests um, she was was a, a hardcore businesswoman completely her body was rotten and she could barely move in pain and she went to this retreat and the yoga guy said okay come on girl um, there is this tree I want you to put your hands on the tree and just stand there for 20 minutes because you can't do anything you can barely walk out of the car uh, and she said, what shall I do with this tree? I'm not a tree hugger. <laughs> 20 minutes later, <laughs> half an hour later, actually, um, the, she was, the, the yogi came back and sort of said, yeah, okay, you're finished. That's your session for today. And she was about to get really angry with him, turned around, stomped to the car and realized when she was walking to the car, hang on, I'm actually walking to the car. I'm not shoveling. I'm not barely moving. I actually feel good and she that was and she was such a such a brainy person for her she was a a, a money investor she was doing all those kind of things and suddenly her reconnecting with a very different side of life and of nature suddenly gave her power back and nowadays she runs a retreat and, and and is doing these kind of things but would you believe it you know from from multi-million dollar business deals and broken body to now healthy body and a life that she fully truly enjoys wow that is the reality so whatever that means for you if you're not a tree hugger in a good sense that's cool find something else Mm -hmm. how is it to be out there in nature and maybe do a competitive sport such as i don't know shooting or uh, or maybe archery or whatever it is be out there and actually enjoy yourself. How beautiful is that? 
And that suddenly you focus on your breathing, you focus on things, and all this this tension falls away, and you feel really good. Why is that? Because you've switched on the parasympathetic nervous system, and now your body allows itself to heal. It also comes up with solutions to problems. Mm-hmm. When you're in a chaos, the fight and flight, you're often completely like that. You can't see straight, or you can only see straight, but you don't see other solutions or or um, methodologies that help you to ap- approach a problem. Mm-hmm. It is I get the best ideas when I'm standing under the shower, and it's just relax, and suddenly, bing, the brain comes up with something, a solution to a problem. They thought, mm-hmm. ah, okay, beautiful. I love so, those moments. <laughs> what does it take for you guys out there? How can you switch off the fight and flight, and how can you make a difference? Maybe combine those things. We said holistic nutrition. Okay. So maybe, just maybe, cook yourself something really nice and something healthy. And now switch off your handheld device and actually just sit there and enjoy it. Mm. Actually, have have a bite and chew it. Do you feel the crunchiness? Do you feel the fresh salad or whatever you've put in there? You feel the sweetness developing as you're crunching the, the salt there, and uh, sweetness comes over your tongue. And now you've you've swallowed it, and you know, sort of all these these tastes came together, and you made that. So that's an achievement, and you're looking after yourself. That's an achievement, and now you're eating healthy. That's an achievement. There are three things you did, where you have made a decision to live a better life. By simply cooking yourself some some nice food and now eating it intentionally, how cool is that? Eh? You're a winner. Mm-hmm. You are. You've just changed your life. And can you imagine the the compound interest if you were to do then, maybe a bit later, another decision that might again guide you in the right way? Maybe have a glass of water, mm-hmm. or maybe park the car. Not immediately at a supermarket, but maybe at the very end of the park, car park, uh, 200 meters away. So you are now walking 200 meters extra. That is more exercise than you had done yesterday. You know? And just keep going. It's beautiful. That's the life that I live at the moment. Um, there are setbacks, no two ways around it. There are days when I don't feel like it. Hell yes. Um, but... All in all, I've made the conscious decision that I want to live more intentionally. I want to live a life that is worthwhile living. And I want to have a smile on my face and say, well done, Stefan. You really didn't want to do that, but you did. Yeah. That's what that I'm proud of. And that's cool. That's very cool. So what was the moment that inspired you to write My Steps to Sobriety? Actually, um, I had spoken. At the, I've given lectures in the hospital, and I've given. I've been more and more outspoken about my own recovery and about addiction. And when my wife said, "Why don't you write a book about it?" and I thought, "No way, no way." And there was still that bit of shame, and not guilt, and not shame, not guilt, the kind of embarrassment. I didn't want to put myself forward. And I thought, maybe. And I started writing, and I couldn't stop. So for half a year, it just poured out. And the first version of, of My Steps to Sobriety was pretty harsh. It was pretty um, far more honest and far more far more my story. And 
it was obviously a lot of healing involved there because I actually wrote things down that maybe I had not ever ever written down and I then gave it to read to some people and and one person I really truly truly love and and uh, appreciated the, the, the boss of the rehabilitation hospital which I was he sort of read it and said hey look man um, all the addicts go through shit times they they have got their own shit you don't need to be so specific in the shit um, why don't you aim or focus more on the life that you're living now and how you got there the lessons you learned etc rather than be so specific mm. and that was actually quite nice so now I had done the healing by actually journaling so to speak writing down things and then I started modifying things and um, I did and I was happy with the product put it out there then uh, yeah and there's so many things because I didn't market wasn't the greatest the greatest uh, seller so whilst I became an Amazon uh, bestseller in Australia it was it was still uh, didn't reach the, the audience that I wanted so I got in touch with a different publisher um, she started working with me and it was a nightmare because the book that, that it is got destroyed and she wanted uh, it was it was an awful journey with lots of new trauma there and it just oh god but I grew and the book grew um, so ultimately message the sobriety now is is again reflecting my journey and is reflecting the lessons I learned the hard way mm -hmm. and there are so many uh, so many lessons I put therefore into that book so my steps to sobriety um, is uh, basically a little bit of my story. Far more important, though, it is uh, the story. It is breaking down the 12 steps into a logical framework. Something, forget the, the God, forget the, the kind of more esoteric things, but look at it like, a, like you having a friend and you both are in the same business. So let's say you both have a restaurant and your friend uh, is really struggling. Can barely make ends meet and you are your your restaurant is buzzing so he would come to you and say look man can you help me i mean look at you your restaurant is full mine uh, there's some tumbleweeds rolling through um i don't know what to do so you would say look come on man of course i help you so you would go across what would you do you would probably sit down have a look around order a few things off the menu observe the staff taste the menu try not to vomit um, <laughs> then um, maybe go behind the scenes, check out what how the food is kept and what is happening, do a really good inventory of what's going on. Then you probably want to have a good discussion and maybe uh, put a few changes in place, throw those things off the menu that no one buys, maybe redo the menu towards more a niche that is maybe better suitable for you. Then you put some quality assurance in there, make sure that things actually work uh, behind the scenes. Um, you might then make amends. So to those people who were previously coming to you, you might send out flyers uh, to, to or an email list, say, hey, look guys, we've lost a bit of our way, but uh, under same, same management, new ideas, why don't you come back and as a thank you for being loyal, you get 30% off your uh, your bill and free drinks the first night or something like that. So you're making amends. 
and then uh, finally things are are going and smooth. You make quality assurance program to actually make sure that that you keep going the right track and you review every month, etc. And then finally, your friend is as busy as you are, but meanwhile he is so so intrigued about the whole thing. He loved his own journey that he is now starting to give back, and that he is actually saying, you know what? I create a Facebook group for struggling restaurateurs, or I have a meeting on a Monday night when our thing is closed for other restaurant owners to come along, have a whinge, have a talk, connect. That would be a very logical thing that would happen in daily life and something that you probably have done in your life before. But what I've just described is a 12-step system. Mm. That's exactly it, what you have done. And so, therefore, if you now demystify the 12 steps into a very logical approach to help a failing business, well, if this failing business is you, then use the same steps. Mm -hmm. But it all comes down to that you realize enough is enough. You need help. You realize that you can't do it alone. And you realize that there's help out there that steps one, two, three. You then need to do a very brutal inventory and actually look really what is the problem and do something about it. Mm. <laughs> that's four, five, six, seven. And then making amends, that's eight and nine. And then quality assurance and finally giving back, that's 10, 11, 12. So beautiful. So that's that's exactly what, what sobriety is all about. That's what recovery is all about. And that's what I've sort of put in there uh, and with action plans, etc. But then life doesn't stop. Life continues. That sobriety is only the start. But your problems remain there. Mm. You will find shitty people around you. There will be toxic relationships. There will be depression. There will be all kind of financial hardship. There will be COVID, whatever. There will be new challenges, but they're all predictable. Many of them at least are. Yeah. So why not put a bit of knowledge in there? So the, the rest of the book is then all about action plans and about explaining what is depression. And, okay, how do you recognize it? What can you do? How do you go about it? Mm. Or what do you do with a toxic employee, etc. So de learn about the challenges just as much as you learn to, to change a tire of a car because you know sooner or later it will deflate and in a place which is not so nice. So you learn how to change a tire. Well, maybe learn how to change an employee. Maybe learn those kind of things. So that's what my book is all about. And that's what my show is all about. Because ultimately, I bring on people that have been out there and have made the mistakes, that have gone through shit, and are now um, having uh, developed into, into people who are further down the path than you are. So by now listening to them, you don't have to, to learn the lessons the hard way. You can see what others have done, what worked for them, and maybe it works for you. Mm -hmm. So that will speed you much further up down the path. I've got many guests on my show that have very unique skills, skills that, that can be incredibly valuable for you, depending upon where you are, who you are, etc. So I often call them Survival Tuesday, where we focus on one thing. Let it be financial uh, financial knowledge or uh, emotional intelligence or something quite specific, like how do you become sexually good in bed? So I had recently had a porn star on my show 
who who gave us a man's health perspective on on his sexuality. How do you perform twenty five years in in an industry where many men are struggling in their own bedroom? Things like that. So actually, address those things that no one talks about. Mm. The taboos. Also talk about the traumas. I had many patients, patients. Sorry, I do many guests who have been on the receiving end of nasty abuse, sometimes of human trafficking, sometimes of childhood sexual abuse that you believe would be would be unbelievable, but it has been their life. And by actually talking about that, we hopefully can help others to talk about their traumas, the traumas that they kept have kept hidden. So that is what I do nowadays. I'll talk about the hard things in life, but with a good good amount of, of humor, sometimes gallows humor. Hey guys, it is what it is. Um but I I am honored. I'm I've got a privilege to talk to people who are just amazing. And that's where I think we need to be. We need to be open. We need to be open to change. Open to trying new things. Opening to listen. Open to listening to stories that maybe we don't like so much because they're maybe maybe a bit too close to home. But just because they're too close to home, they make you think. They make you feel. They make you take action. And hopefully, we can guide you into taking action into the right direction. So instead of you being a victim, maybe you become a survivor. And then maybe out of a survivor, you become a thriver because mm -hmm. you are maybe coming on the same journey as we are, where we are now being open and honest out there and are talking and trying to make this world a better place, one interview at a time. Absolutely. I love it. I love what you're doing. And I'm going to look into your that discussion. That sounds, I love the topics that you brought awareness to. And I like the taboo topics too, because it's all about like, I love this this day and age because it's about being authentic and like finding comfort and power in that. And do, do you provide one-on-one -on -one coaching? Negative. No. I'm burning out with that. Okay. I did that when I was a pain physician. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, I was getting far too involved and that become, it became its own trauma. So mm -hmm. no, it is a, a lot of people have asked mm -hmm. me that, but no, I'm, I'm not a life coach. I'm, I'm a man who is continuously trying to improve himself. And with that, I can lead by example. I can do living amends, so to speak. And you can learn from my lessons. But there are many life coaches that I bring on. Um, I would say about 50%, 60% of the people who are on my show are actually coaches and are can, can help you do it. So, but um, I see myself as a... As, as maybe the candle in the darkness, or maybe the torch, maybe even the lighthouse. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the more we can spread light and the more we can open up, um, the more we can maybe influence others and, and let them let them grow. And that's that's what I do. I bring I, my. We talked about my steps to sobriety as my book and as my show and podcast. Um, I'm also writing other books. Um, I've just uh, finished a book with uh, 16 female co-authors, um, which is called Depression Light to Me, where you basically tell 16 stories of depression to actually show that 
Hang on, guys. Depression is such a chaotic and, and strange um, beast. It's a chameleon. comes in all kinds of shape, form, and sizes. Um, so sometimes you don't know that your pain is actually depression. And so therefore, by us doing that and by us um, speaking out about it, maybe we can make a difference. So I'm always working on new projects um, because ultimately there is so much that we can that we can help, that we can change. So I love my life. Would I go back and change anything in the past? That's often a question I'm asked. No, no. Um, all the trauma came with purpose. It made me who I am now. I was such an idiot, um, but that was then. The past does not equal the future. And I am determined to create the best future that I can. But without the pain that I've gone through, I would not know how where the direction is that I need to go. So now it is, um, it's, a, it's a good life. And I'm determined to make it the best life I can. Thank you. So Stefan, we have some rapid fire for you. What is a funny story your family tells about you that you'd like to share? <laughs> you catch me out there. Um, because most of the funny stories, so to speak, are either um, probably not so, not so funny or they are funny, but they are probably not appropriate to be aired on, on uh, white out there. I have done many things that I'm not proud of that were quite funny. So I was the soul of the party, so to speak. Um, with hindsight, probably not. <laughs> um, since this could be heard by, by children, no. <laughs> In this case, I, I nothing comes to my mind that is funny enough to be said here. I can respect that. What is your biggest pet peeve? Right now. In general. Extremism. Mm. Extremism. I can't stand how our world is being run by people who are extreme far right, far left, far God knows where. It's always the same crap. And it is it drives me nuts what is happening with China, with Russia, Ukraine, with America, with the president you just had, um, with uh with so many things. It's so it's nuts. This the history is repeating itself as as, as if people we are too stupid. We are too mm -hmm. stupid. Our attention span is what five seconds. The the teaching of history in our schools is no longer happening. Mm -hmm. We're dumbing down a, a generation, and it is and therefore this generation will make mistakes that are so blatantly obvious. Yeah. And that is that is the harshest thing. So that's no, where, that's, where that's, my job, that's where our job is very important. And I respect you again for being proactive and being an educator during these times where, mm -hmm. you know, I realized making similar observations to what you just said that I, I can't just sit back and like dislike it. I have to have some kind of role in it. And they, you know what they say, if you can't beat them, you join them. Well, like... Uh -huh. If everyone's staring at social media, let me put some fruitful content so people could grow. If this exactly, exactly, and that's why I had I had two concentration camp survivors um, from the Second World War on my show, 
I have got people who went to various wars or lived in, in various hard times um, where we can talk about the history. Um, I had uh, someone who was involved in a in a very nasty incident in Ireland um, with the, the in Belfast with regards to the Irish Civil War. Um, so those kind of things. Let's talk about them. Yeah. Let's talk about why we try to alter history. Mm. For example, let's let's uh, uh, one of the the things that I want to do is I want to talk to someone from the Armenian community. Because here we are, Armenia had a genocide in 1915, and in fact, 1890s, brutal, brutal genocide. And Turkey, who was the perpetrator, uh, is now saying we it's illegal to say that we ever did anything wrong to the Armenians. So, and the, the same with many other, other countries who are rewriting history. Oh, that but... makes me sick. So, therefore, we have got the, the duty of teaching our children that hang on, uh, soon you will no longer find that. So therefore, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the, the honest truth. What happened in 1915? Mm -hmm. um, and you could say, but we're 2022. Who cares what happened in 1915? I tell you what, it is right now it's happening again. Yeah. And we don't see it for what it is mm -hmm. because we get brainwashed with kind of, of crappy news. We get flooded with certain messages that are written by people who want to influence you mm -hmm. so therefore no 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 go out there and be honest and ask not just is it true what someone is telling me but also ask why is he telling me that yes very thank you that's very good food for thought and our grand question what is the most important lesson you've learned over your career? That I am a dick. <laughs> that I'm uh that I can make mistakes. And I'm very good in that. I can make a lot of mistakes. Um, but also that I can learn from them. And that it is then in fact my duty to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that making mistake is very good because it forces me to reevaluate, to learn, to grow. If everything goes smooth, well, that's boring, okay? So sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And that is a beautiful attitude to cultivate and to celebrate mistakes you make and learn from them. Thank you so much, Dr. Neff. I loved speaking to you. It came very natural to me. And I, I appreciate your transparency and your strength in telling your story. Oh, it was an absolute honor to be on your show. And for all of you out there, guess what? Guess what? You're coming on to my show. Ha ha! <laughs> return return to the table. <laughs> I would love that. I get, I get to grill you and it's <laughs> going to be fun. <laughs> I can't wait. I would love to do that. <laughs> absolutely so guys thank you so much um for for tuning in this was a longer show than than we had initially uh planned it is what it is so thank you so much it, it was an honor for me to be on your show